Welcome to Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. Thrilled to have you all here. Thank you all for coming. It's your eyes, your attention. It's, you know, your interest that's really moving the ball forward, helping us move the cannabis space, hopefully forward, at least a molecule at a time. So that's, that's the goal. And the idea today is to get our paws on a big set of cannabis data. Today, we happen to be working with lab results. We've worked with all sorts of cannabis data, sales, products, strains, licensees, and there's just been a big demand for lab results. So we've gone through some of the tedious stuff in the past weeks, right? We just wanted to find out, oh, who are all the players in the game? So we found all the licensees. As I'll show you, that's pretty important information because all of these, where do these lab results originate from? Well, they originate from licensees. So we can start augmenting data. So then we have the, the lab result, then we have licensee, then we may know, you know, where in the world they grew it. And then all of a sudden, once you know where in the world they grew it, then you can start doing all sorts of augmentation. You can augment climate data, Maybe you want to augment regulation data. Maybe regulations are having a play. You know, the, the sky's the limit. Um, in some cases, literally, if you're if you're doing outdoor. <laughs> so, anywho, it's going to be good fun. But I'll drone on long enough. So it's a meetup after all. So you're all welcome to bring any ideas, questions, research your own projects that you want to share. This is a platform for everybody. And in, in the past, we've had people come and present their own research and talk about some of their own projects. So feel free to promote anything that you're working on. Um, you know, give uh, some big ups to yourselves. And then, uh, yeah, feel free to share anything that, that you're interested in. So my intrepid co-host, Candace, who's been a cannabis data science team member for years now it's it's lovely we've really been moving the ball forward so candace how how have you been and how are your data collection efforts going say in florida and anything on your mind um let's see uh i'm uh, getting closer to um getting an api a metric uh sandbox api which uh key and um i'm going through the agreements um and I, I'm pretty excited about it. And that way, too, I'll be able to um, help cannabis businesses easily um, integrate with Metric with the Canlytics Software Developer Kit, uh, the Metric Software Developer Kit. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then actually, too, you know, instead of just gathering a lot of COAs in Florida, Keegan, I'm just looking for different labs. But I did come across a lab called Canalytics, which was interesting. And um, but yeah, so and and that way too, you know, when we start parsing them, because I really would like to see Coadark um, supporting all of the uh, labs in Florida, because the patients right now are uh, using brute force spreadsheets and you know typing in their COA numbers, and I'm I really think they would get excited, but I haven't had a lot of time. I've been kind of working with uh, some other stuff, kind of outside of uh, cannabis data science, and um, but. I think that could be pretty exciting. So until we come up with a universal GPT script that will just scrape everything, 
um, I'm going to need to get my uh, hands dirty and start PDF plumbing some COAs and, you know, and try to update and add labs to COA doc. That's it. I, I absolutely love it, Candice. And, you know, maybe I'm getting on in my years because a, a younger me would have already accomplished this for you. But, and this is why it's an all hands on deck moment. There's just so much to do, but that's the thing we're sprinting on is to start unlocking some of these data points for consumers, right? Lab results, right? They're right there. And as we said, as soon as the consumers get them, then they can augment all sorts of data, find out information about their products and do all sorts of interesting statistics. And what's cool is Candace says she's learning the metric traceability system. We can stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean, I think I was seeing somewhere that metric is operating in 24 states or so. So, so they're a, a giant and they've done their work of, they have, what do you call them? Uh, data models for various entities in the cannabis space, right? Strain, plant, package, sale, receipt, things like that. Uh, well, the, there's a, the transaction um, and then there's sales items. Um, and so what's cool is we're also, you know, working to standardize results. And so why not just incorporate a lot of the metric data models? And so basically the idea is, oh, well, if somebody has say, a cannabis receipt in California, one would expect that it'll have most of the standard metric receipts on there or the, uh, you know just the, the various fields on there which you know like a price item name it may have uh, a metric id on the label awesome and so the idea is you know why not get the standard metric points say from the metric from a consumer's receipt or the product label, or maybe they even have a certificate. Phenomenal. And then what we can do is do the old analytics philosophy is work with whatever we're given. So maybe they only have a couple data points. Maybe they just have a label that just had THC, CBD, but maybe it has the metric ID on it. Awesome. Maybe somebody else has a COA with that same metric ID. And so then we can almost connect and augment the data points. So that's the idea is, you know, just try to just rapidly collect data. So maybe that metric ID was for one of the IDs of some of these lab results we've already collected. So then all of a sudden we can let the consumer know, oh, you know, these are your THC, these are your terpenes. Maybe there's a pesticide screening, so on and so forth. You can find out the licensee, who grew it. Maybe you can go view their website and look at some of the other strains they grow. Once again, the sky's the limit. And um, so, so that that's the big work underway. Is we're just kind of coming at this from the opposite end that some other people do. So my my philosophy is. You know, a lot of people really rely on metric, um, but I 
unfortunately kind of say you know sometimes the tra traceability system is it's almost like a, a game of telephone um so it's like you know we, we'd love to you know call up the lab but instead you know we have to go through metric and go get the lab results but then the idea is you know why not go directly so if for whatever reason maybe the consumer has access to a certificate or a producer has access to a certificate just goes straight to the source and get the lab results so it's far from perfect but as i'll show you as we just try to get our sample size large then th then life will get better so so that's what we're working on so it's really cool but but i'm talking too long have you had a thought question please no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, um, you know, I I need to be you know, careful too, though, because you know, like, uh, just because I have a metric API, I can't be scraping that data and publishing that publicly. You know, I need to still, you know, go for uh, public data sets. You know, asking government, you know, states to uh, please, you know, give me this public data set. And but it would be kind of cool if patients, because I'm telling you, they're all doing it. They're like going in spreadsheets, they're putting them in the graphs, they're plotting them. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's, you know, thinking about it, but I think it's so cool what you're doing, Keegan. And it's my fault, too. I didn't uh, do any parsing coding at all this week. So bad. One, don't blame yourself. We're the turtle after all. And then I'll let you speak one second, Rick. And then two, you're right, approach things ethically, slow and steady, following the rules, wins the race. And then three, you know, by you know, we'll just, you know, get the, the results wherever they may, may be. And so say we can't get them from the producer or the lab, eh, if the consumer has a right to have them and they want to share, then eh, that works for us. So, but Rick, what what are your thoughts? So, when Candace mentioned uh, scraping the data from uh, metric and kind of being careful, I, I just thought I don't know too much about that. Is is any of that considered PHI, uh, or is that state to state? Is that federal? I'm not sure what type of info, uh, like personal info, is included uh, if you were to scrape that. Well, I'm not scraping metric API. That what I'm doing with that key is I'm helping cannabis businesses that want to integrate with the metric uh, system, and I'm only um, getting authorized right now in Massachusetts. But then myself, as a software consultant, you know, I can help people integrate, and I'll be using the Canlytics metric software developer kit to help me do that. And um, but I still don't have a key, so I haven't learned metric yet, right? And um, but I won't be scraping any public data for metric ever, because I have signed agreements too that that's private data. But there are public data sets available being published by states. That's data I'm scraping, and then also too, you know, I'm in a Facebook. Because see, I'm a medical marijuana patient. I uh, started, you know, late in my age, you know, and I do it medically. And um, it, I don't take any pharmaceuticals. And I used to be prescribed like benzos, Percocets, and Artane, a Parkinson pill daily, right, for a long time, and it was affecting my health. But anyway, I digress. But the thing is, is that so anyway, I'm on these medical marijuana Facebook groups, right, and 
you know, we kind of talk because none of my friends smoke pot still because I didn't do it till late in life. My friends just don't smoke it, right? Or do it, right? And, um, but, you know, they're publishing COAs and batch numbers. So we have like Jungle Boys and we have like True Leave. In fact, True Leave now, we can actually turn around and I can just download COAs as a patient. Now, see, as far as like just going onto a website and scraping it, you have to look at agreements. You just can't be willy nilly taking, pulling data off the internet. And, um, but we have, you know, well, not, well, Keegan, Canlytics has, um, had um, some labs that, you know, want transparency um, and, and, you know, they've given him data or have allowed us to scrape data. And, um, and then also too, you know, sometimes labs might want you as a software uh, developer to um, run code to help them, uh, you know, quantify, verify that their data is good. You know, whereas, you know, the Canlytics code could, you know, pick some outliers and anomalies. But anyway, sorry, Keegan, I'm just talking. Well, you, hit, you hit on a lot of good points there, Candice. And the way I would say it is, yes, of course, definitely read the terms. And especially for metrics, so they're very explicit, you know, data in metric is metrics data. And in fact, Yeah, I'm just wondering how much value you can extract out of it if you can't use it. So when you say like it's metrics data, if you are if you have a license to to use, uh, do, can you house like on site well, data well, 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 it, that and use it to run your own analytics? Is that um, no, no, no? See, Rick, it, it, these are it's like an apple and an orange. Um, so metric is um, why I'm pursuing the metric API is so that I can help uh, cannabis like resellers, dispensaries connect into the metric system. That has nothing to do, that Apple has nothing to do with the uh, collection of data because I won't be collecting any data for myself from the metric API. But go ahead, Keegan. <laughs> So I'm just going to share my thoughts and once again, not a lawyer. So as I said, this is really dicey territory. So definitely, you know, check your lawyer. And in fact, I was reading some or so I was hearing somewhere, you know, data is, you know, now like the digital oil or digital gold. So it's incredibly valuable. You know, we've known that for a while, but now, especially, you know, with the rise of the AI slash statistical models. Yeah, it's really driven the point home. So. I think a lot of this is still kind of getting hashed out, uh, sometimes literally uh, hashed out. But this is my understanding is anything in metrics database is their data. If you sign a terms of service to use their API, from my understanding, you're strictly only supposed to do that for traceability purposes. So it's a traceability system. So they want to know how many plants you have in the ground. They want to know how much you harvested. They want to know how much you sold. That's it. Um, so from my understanding, that's all you're really allowed to do with the API. Things get weird because it's like, well, you know, companies have their own inventory systems or sales systems. So, you know, retailers keeping track of, you know, what products they sold, what time they sold it at, how much they sold it at. So to a certain extent, 
the company has their own data. And so it, it's weird because it's like, well, you know, if they then put that data into metric and maybe that's the sole place they're putting it, is that still their data? And my point of view is, well, that's metrics data. Um, so it's, you know, maybe the company could maintain their own database of, you know, their own data um, and do analytics on that. Not really clear. From my understanding, there are analytics companies out there that say, hey, we'll integrate with metric, you know, put in our API key and we'll give you analytics. I don't know about the legality or the if that follows metrics terms of service because that would you that analytics company may be reading in data from the metric API, calculating statistics, and then distributing those statistics likely for profit. And right, that's not really a needed step in traceability. And so it's not to me, it's not real clear if that's valid use of the data. So I've just stayed away from that. Canlytics has pursued getting integrated with metric because I want to understand the system and you know potentially help people out if they're say looking to automate some of their workflow. Um, so I, I think it's a useful tool to have in your tool belt to know the metric API. But personally, I don't know. I, I'm leaving that to some of the other analytics companies that that want to do statistics on metric data for private companies. Once again, it may all be above above ground. It may all be permitted because, as I said, to a certain extent, the companies have their own data, right? It's um, you know they may have their own database of products in lab results and sales. Um, but I think if I was running a company, I would make real certain to have, you know, my own private database with my own private data that's almost separate from traceability. And then just you just go through traceability for compliance purposes. So it's like, okay, I made a sale. I need to record that in the compliance system. I'll put some of my sales data into metric but this is still my sales data and then yes if i want to share my personal data for my database with the analytics company to do statistics then i think that i think that would be reasonable but once again not a lawyer don't 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 trust me because as i said at the beginning the data landscape to me is not really well defined um, and as I said, there's tons of analytics companies out there. Um, I don't really know how they operate. Um, but the way I'm approaching it is just saying like, okay, that's a little murky. And as Candace says, let's just go for open data sets, you know, that we know are public, you know, we know we're allowed to work with. And sometimes we have to, to limit ourselves. We can't just, you know, just get put our paws all over everybody's stuff but if it's in the public domain so for example the washington results i think mcr labs is publishing results on the web in the past we've collected results they will look at psi labs and then in the past sc labs has published lab results 
And then um, what was her final source? Oh yeah, uh, Connecticut. And then in Connecticut, they have a public registry of the products and their results. So, so those are our public avenues. And then as Candace was saying, in some states, people are allowed to get certificates. Um, and of course, I realized if you make a purchase, that your sales receipt is technically in the metric they well right that's going to be added up into the sales total i mean and so that's why i was saying like if we're creative we can still get to the data in a legitimate manner so it's like okay you can't get sales data directly out of the metric api just willy-nilly okay so well if a consumer purchased a product in florida they'll have a receipt you can take a, a picture of their receipt and that i've been looking at these receipts and they have a surprisingly large number of the exact same data points that are in the metric api and that's why i said it's so useful to to know the data models because on the receipt you may have things like date time sold or I forget the official uh, key, but uh, you know, uh, time sold, price, sales tax. You may even have the ID, and so so the idea the idea is just to get as much data as you can through that that avenue. So I don't know. I'm maybe getting uh, talking too long, but there's more to come in that regard. But but Rick. No, that was great. That was a great explanation. So uh, gave me a lot of info. I was just didn't know a lot about the uh, metric system. Uh, I knew about the public data sets, which I found very, very valuable. It seems like there's just like a, a problem unifying, you know, the data and it takes a lot of kind of groundwork to kind of like go and tie it all together, which is understandable given where we're at and hopefully uh, that changes. So thank you. Yeah. Phenomenal, Rick, and just just wait till you uh, you see what's in the store today. But but some of that, um, so so too cool. And once again, um, that's my perspective. As I said, there are other companies that you know do data analytics. So yeah, I, some of them are quite nice, and they've got some good representatives. So you know, feel free to reach out, or I can even get you a contact, um, and you can pick their brains. Um, but uh, but this is the, this is the avenue we're pursuing. But as I'll show you, it can actually be quite fruitful because that's our other philosophy is just go you know don't wait, just go get it. Um, so it's like you know we can't just like wait around for lab results to fall into our lap. So we'll just you know go get what we can, and I'll will show you today. Yeah, we got a fair amount. So, but, but I've been talking a lot too. So, Edwin, any thoughts, comments, questions? I'm not sure if I've seen you before, but you're also welcome to, to introduce yourself. So sorry if I if I don't remember you. You seem quite a little familiar. Oh, uh, no, I, I this is actually my first time in the group. Um, so hi, everybody. Uh, I'm a, I guess, budding data scientist <laughs> for a little bit of fun there but um i'm i actually i have very little experience in the data science world i'm currently uh a college grad with a degree in biology i've just started a 
um, data science certification program because that's where I want to head in life. And one of the um, one things that they one of the things that they suggested we do is look around for meetups to kind of see what it's like in spaces like these. And you know, like I'm a occasional user of cannabis products, and you know, I wanted to see you know, where data science is being, how it's being used in this space. And, you know, it's it's honestly really cool. And it it's really interesting to hear what you guys are talking about. And it seems like a lot of the things so far, a lot of our concerns have been focused around procuring data. Am I, am I, am I correct in that? Or is that, like, what are some of the challenges that you guys are facing um, in using data science in this industry? Ooh, just wait, you're, you're going to be in for a super, super good treat because uh, I've got a full demonstration about wh what we're doing and how we go about it. So Sweet. exactly. Almost the right. So we've been at this group for a little over two years and almost the solid first year was spent just collecting the data. And then the second year was spent just trying to standardize it so that way we could just calculate the most basic of statistics, huh. right? Right. You can't calculate a mean um, until you can, you know, add everything up correctly, right? And so it's right. like, you know, you're adding things up and then all of a sudden you get a, you've got numbers, 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 and then you've got less than 0 0.01. Uh, you know, how do you, you know, how do you handle that? Um, so. So that's what we spent almost the whole second year doing was just <laughs> figuring out how we could actually run basic statistics with mm -hmm. the data. And then we had got a little beyond basic statistics and did some, some pretty cool modeling. And then I think, at least for me, I reached the limitation of my knowledge real quickly, especially in the, the recent months with just the rapid developments and in AI and statistics. So I'm just sprinting to uh, stay at the back of the pack, but uh, but I'm having fun. Um, but anywho, let's go ahead and start pretty soon. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen and you're gonna be in for a treat today. So I'm just gonna go ahead and get all this data loading while we talk about it. And so what do we have here? So we've collected data from five different states for lab results. As I said, unfortunately, I don't think they publish their lab results anymore. Um, and I missed about a, a thousand or so of them, but we, we had collected around 6,000 or so lab results from SC labs in California. And as I said, we've got lab results from Connecticut and see here, I'm just doing a little last minute data cleaning um, or data. And that's another thing is I try to say standardization over cleaning these days because data cleaning almost implies like, the data is dirty and you're manipulating it. Um, and so I don't know. I, I don't feel like it leads to think it may hurt your credibility to use words like data cleaning and data manipulation even though that may be uh, reasonable jargon but anywho um we're standardizing 
some of these fields we have for for the various states some states are already a bit more standardized than others so i'll have to share with you some prior meetups where we went into depth collecting these and so this is where i was saying like all of these were were journeys um like it was a an expedition to get all these lab results from california and michigan the washington ones took a long time because there's a ton of data augmentation where we have to to match lab results to inventory um all the way to like the plant strain um so, so that one's a little complicated um and then the massachusetts one um, th that's where we're getting results from MCR labs. Okay. And once again, a little more, actually more than a little. So I'm just going to go ahead and run all of this while I talk because my philosophy is the code is a little less interesting than the, the data and in particular the visualizations. So I'm just going to rush through this as quick as possible. Uh, to get to the visualizations, but I'll at least talk about what I'm doing. You know, we've got a sizable amount of lab results for each state, and I'm just making sure we have all of the same data points. So I'm just making sure for each observation, which is a cannabis product that was sampled and sent to a laboratory to get tested. So these are lab results for some cannabis product that was sold at some retail dispensary. And so we're keeping track of the THC content and the CBD content. Um, and then just for simplicity, I'm just going to use total THC and total CBD for today. And then where possible, I'm going to be standardizing the these top I think five or six terpenes that we've looked at in the past. And so there are maybe a anywhere from a dozen to two dozen or more terpenes that are tested on a regular basis in the plants. And as we've discovered in, remember when we talked about what makes a cheese a cheese, you know, some of the minor terpenes may actually be quite important. But we found that these major terpenes have some, some interesting relationships. So basically just going to get, um, so these are just compounds, beta-curiophylline, alpha-humulene, beta-mercine, curiophylline oxide, beta-pinene, D-lemonine. And we won't look at this one today, but this is a compound that I think is interesting, is terpinaline. Um, so once again, for any of you who want to do some, some research, we found that chemistry can be remarkably explanatory. So once you actually have this analyte name, there's a whole nother suite of data augmentation that we haven't done yet. You could augment the compound boiling point which and and other um 
properties of these uh, chemicals. Um, so I'm not a chemist, but uh, uh, you know the, the boiling point is is, is a low hanging fruit uh, data point. Um, but that one's of critical importance. Um, so for example, processors, people making cannabis oil from flour, the boiling point for each compound is of utmost importance. Um, so, so uh -oh. okay, so this is an error that I think I can troubleshoot pretty quick. Um, Okay, we may just have to do without. Um, hopefully, we can still aggregate these. Okay, wonderful. So, as promised, we've gone through all this rigmarole. And here, I'll just show you what a data point looks like. Let's just take a random sample of five. Um, and then let's just look at some of these. Uh, top fields so we've got the product name um and then right we've got the total thc and the total cbd so you know we can just start taking some you know samples of these and you know these are the types of products we're working with um so here's an infused joint um an indica joint um Here's ridge line, uh, ridge line runts, um, you know, 30% THC, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, we've done all sorts of fun analysis in the past because, right, this is natural language. And so we found the product names are a fun field to use natural language processing on. Okay. Okay. That's all, all fine and dandy. So what's a good research question for today? Well, last week we were talking about South Africa. We were talking about licenses in South Africa. Well, what I realized is from, I was starting to look at the map to figure out all the different provinces. Um, and I maybe forget the name of it. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say there's a, a city in South Africa, Durban. And, well, that jogged my memory that, oh, yes, you know, there's a, you know, a famous cannabis strain, Durban poison. Um, here, let's just print all these out real quick. Here, and also, let me actually check the map real quick, just to make sure I'm not butchering this, right? Yeah, so um, yeah, so, so here we're, we were talking about South, South Africa, and there you see Durban is in KwaZulu-Natal, which is one of the provinces. So, okay, so just wanted to do a quick sanity check. Um, you know, that's 
that's what I always recommend um, in data science. And, and that's uh, a philosophy from Python, right? Is is don't guess, you know, you know, uh, so, so check, you know, so, so anywho, uh, yeah, so there's city in South Africa, Durban. So we found all these Durban poisons. And then I realized we were just talking about Thailand. So we could find Thai strains. So here are a bunch of Thai strains that we've observed. So we've, you know, seen a lot in Michigan, some in Massachusetts, not certain if this is a Thai, this Thai Leva, but perhaps. And then just to go ahead and, you know, add, add a third, I was trying to find some Colombian strains. And so there's, you know, Colombian gold is, is the famous one. Um, but the only one observed was this one in Michigan. Um, and so I'm not certain if this one's valid or not, but there's a Colombian prophet and a newer strain that I realized may technically be Colombian is Medellin, which I think is, once again, let's double check. Um, I want to say Medellin is a city in Colombia. Um, yeah. Maybe or maybe not. Um, so, Medellin. So, this is uh, a newer strain. There's also a strain, Santa Marta, but I didn't see any of those in the data set. Um, and, and now we can start getting to some of the, the visualizations. So, this is what's interesting in the importance of getting our sample size large, right? So out of the 125,000 plus lab results, there were only 77 Durban type strains or flower type strains that were tested, which is actually We'll, we'll take it. So remember, I've said in previous meetups that, you know, I'm a small sample, a small sample guy. So I'm okay with that. And what I like to say is this is called doing, you know, conditional upon conditional means. So I may or may not be able to do this uh, because we were talking about uh, standardization here. Yeah, so... So this is what I was saying, right? It's sometimes non-trivial just to 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 do a a mean, but uh, I'll try here. So we just say, oh, let's make this numeric, and let's coerce our errors, and let's see. Okay, so well, that's you know that that's not even logical, right? Because it's like, oh, you know. There are there are some you know THC values you know above 100, um, so you know you could get fancy and say oh you know let's just get everything where THC is you know less than 100. Um, so once again, uh, 
but anywho, um, I'm not, I'm not gonna fight comment question. Yeah, a quick question. We don't have to go through this exercise, but I was just curious, you had mentioned uh, augmenting the data back there. So could we, it, and kind of getting crazy with it, uh, but if we went down a rabbit hole, if we were that interested, could we take the results for um, all of the raw flower material uh, with the Durban poison name um, and then track is there like growing conditions of like the facility like like how they grew it like because i think there's expressions for terpenes especially that come out under certain environments so like if we were to look at that city in south africa or you know wherever that land race that still is attached to that you know strain name uh originated you know as a grower or a breeder i would be interested in trying to you know make that expression stronger either through environmental you know uh variables or, or some other way so can we like go that deep down the rabbit hole uh with this you can go pretty deep so so for example like let's just so we have like the 77 uh tie results or or 13 we've got 13 tie results so, for example, you can look at this one. This first one was a lemon tie, and you can see that, okay, this was actually grown in Palm Springs, California. So my guess yeah. is it was probably grown inside um, because this is Southern California, I think. So, so this was probably grown inside. Um, and then um let's see if we can't find one of the the durbins and so where was this durbin grown okay actually this is interesting here um and so for example this strain was grown in oakland california um once again maybe in a where uh, maybe inside um so this is something that's come up before and something that's super tricky is that like you said the plants may have different terpenes expressions based on environmental factors and this is something that we've kind of racked our brain around but we haven't had, had I, I don't know so if you have any any insights to add here then then let us know but but basically we've kind of run into this conundrum right because it's uh one would expect outdoor strains would be different one would expect people in say california would would be more likely to grow outdoor than say somebody in massachusetts um or michigan so where's this person located um and so look this is just a, an, an anonymous producer so so we don't know where this person is um this person's in santa cruz this one's anonymous but it's a D detroit durban so they're they must be up in michigan so I don't know. Um, I think there may be something there, like 
like state effects, you know, um, are people better at growing in Massachusetts or Michigan? Is there sort of a, an effect of, of being in California on your terpenes? So maybe people are growing in greenhouses in California and they're getting that bright California sun and it's doing wonders for their plants. That may be here in the data, but it's going to take a an ambitious data scientist like yourself to. I think that's where uh, AI steps in and try. You know, you f figure out uh, kind of a a way to like have an orchestrator that has access to like you know all these random different uh, data sets and tries to you know intelligently string them together because it's it's over it gets overwhelming quickly. You're you're quite right because as I was saying, you know, in a lot of the meetups, we're just kind of doing the best we can with just a very limited number of data points, right? So for today, I'm not even really using state. Today, basically, um, my analysis is just using product name and then some of the compounds. So I'm just using product name and like total THC and total CBD and some of the terpenes. But as you were saying, you know, if you built a more complex statistical model or somehow used some of the AI models, you may be able to incorporate every data point, right? Uh, well, some of these are 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 missing, but uh, you know the 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 location in the state may well not may there I think they're probably significant predictors of the results. Um, but there may be sort of other interesting things you could uncover. So it ended up being controversial, but a long time ago, I had suggested that, oh, you could look at, at pesticide failures by location and see if, oh, if you're near anything, if you may be, be failing. And then all of a sudden in Washington, they sort of did this, this sampling of samples um, and they were finding uh, a, a derivative of DDT from old apple orchards. But then I was actually hearing um, a scientist from Health Canada speak. And what he was saying was, yes, they used to test for, for these DDT compounds in Canada. But unfortunately, they're so ubiquitous because I think they were just used maybe heavily, maybe in the 70s or maybe earlier. You know, they were just spraying them all over the place on orchards and stuff. And I don't think they'd um, degrade. So they were just spraying them all over and they're ending up in the soil. So unfortunately, a lot of agricultural products just test high for DDT. And so it's, they were saying they just stopped testing for it in Canada because People were, you know, getting detections, but it's it's not really like their fault. Um, I don't know if they thought they were high concentrations or not. So it's just sort of an unfortunate thing, you know, that we live in uh, this dirty world. But uh, but anywho, that was something they were looking at in Washington was proximity to orchards and failure rates for pesticides. Um, but actually. Last week we talked about 
terra noir and th i think that would actually be a more interesting that's more fun uplifting thing to look at is instead of looking at pesticides maybe look at you know geographic density of terpenes and you know my hypothesis would be i bet you anything you know the emerald triangle and just in general sunny california i bet they have pretty high expressions of of terpenes um maybe versus some of the you know the cold indoor you know warehouse grown cannabis maybe in in massachusetts or michigan or even washington state but you know indoor growers can sometimes impress you so who knows but but anywho let me go ahead and run through some of this that was awesome awesome comment there rick so feel free to chime in anytime but basically the the question was posed in the prior weeks like you know how could we even go about distinguishing between these various varieties so um and so let's see if we can't kind of do that right so we've got three varieties here like pie colombian and durbin and if we, you know, just look at their THC and CBD, you know, they're kind of all clustered together. You know, you may look at the average. Um, and so you may just say like, oh, you know, just looking at the average THC, maybe, you know, Durban poison just has the highest on average. But once again, how much can you really read into this? You know, are these, first off, are they statistically different? So you can use, first off, you can use an ANOVA. So this is an analysis of variance. So that's the statistical test you would do to actually test if these are statistically different. And that basically depends on mostly the sample size you have and then the standard deviation. Um, so if these have large standard deviations, which they do, and you have a small sample size, which we do, then you probably can't conclude these are statistically different. So the smallest standard deviation we have is around four and a half percent. So all of these are well within two standard deviations of each other. So I almost don't even have to do an ANOVA test to just, you know, to, to, to know for pretty, pretty high confidence that I don't think these are statistically different. Okay. But once again, I said, as you, so this is, but uh, this is left to do. So if you're interested, you know, um, this is something we've done in prior weeks. So you can probably just grab the code and re reuse it. Also, this is code we've done in prior weeks, probit models. So you could actually see if you could predict high Colombian Durban with CBD using a probit model. Um, once again, a uh, you can do this but you know how accurate is that model going to be probably not super accurate but 
have no fear. So you may be getting a little worried, right? You're like, okay, we've got almost no data and things aren't looking very good. But you know, have no fear. We can still still do some analysis here. So you know, we can start say looking at the ratios. So right, so this is the ratio of THC to CBD. You know, see if anything jumps out at us. Um, so basically, it looks like these are, you know, high THC strains. You know, that's not super surprising. Um, once again, okay. So for me, nothing really jumped out at me here as like just saying like, okay, these these three strains, there's some something different about them. So right now, you know, just from looking at THC and CBD, they all look relatively similar. But now we can augment, or not augment, we already have these points, but we can start looking at some of the the terpenes. And so these are, this is where it's gonna get a little interesting. And this is, these relationships, wanna go ahead and you know thank old John Abrams at the CESC. He was the one who first told me about the relationships between some of these terpenes. And for you ambitious chemists, this is where I think the, some, some of the frontier lies. So these chemicals are produced in the plant by various synthesis or synthases from my understanding. Um, and so I think maybe understanding the relationship between the synthases, right? So, and once again, I'm not a chemist, so I may be butchering this, but maybe there's a THC synthase and maybe there's another synthase that produces some of the, the terpenes Maybe there's some correlation between these. Um, maybe certain genetics express some synthesis more and some less. So that's sort of, like I said, I barely know anything there. So if you're particularly interested, uh, that's what I think uh, an avenue for new research is actually studying how the plant produces these chemicals and the properties of these chemicals. Um, I think that's going to be important. But but for now, we'll just see if we can't start finding differences between these. So here, here's all the, the Durbins. You see beta-curiophylline generally at less than 0.15 and alpha-humulines generally less than 0.06. You see the Colombian profit, it's kind of starting to drag away a little bit, right? So this may just be, maybe it's just a more potent strain, but you see it's got a bit more, a bit higher, 0.25. And then I don't think I've done the tie, but we can just try the tie results real quick. Yeah, so for some reason, I don't think I have terpenes for the ties so for, so unfortunately the tie has dropped off the dropped off dropped out of the race and so now we're <laughs> it's it's dropped out of the the land race so right now we've just got Durban and Colombian that we're looking at and so this is the next relationship 
is looking at beta mercine to delimonene and seeing if we can't parse out anything interesting. And as I was saying, Ty fell out of the land race, but check this out. You've got land race Durbin. Um, that's that's kind of an outlier here. And so you, you see almost all the other Durbin poisons have less than 1% beta mercine. And for some odd reason, this land race has 2%. So that's double the the normal amount of beta mercine that you would see in a Durbin. So and it's it's labeled a land race. And if you do a little research, you'll learn that land race strains are basically, from my understanding, where people go to remote regions of the world. Maybe they go to South Africa, maybe they go to Colombia or India or Thailand or where have you. And they, you know, try to go to regions where the cannabis cannabis plants haven't been interbred with a lot of the general plants that we see today so as i was saying you know a lot of the calif like the california og and kush has been interbred with so many strains because people are just trying to get high thc and so i think people go and try to find these untapped genetics and and you know kind of you know bring those back to the u.s market to breed in with the cushions and the ogs to kind of get some some new pro, pro some new flavor profiles with that you know super high thc stuff that the market demands so so i'll i'll zoom in in just one second on that land race just to finish these off, check this out. Colombian Profit has a significant amount of D-limonene, which you just don't observe in the Durban poisons. And it's beta-mercene is maybe less, right? See, it's only got 0.1% beta-mercene. Where over here you're seeing anywhere from 0.5 to 1%. So that's that's notable. But here's here's the the gold. So this is my favorite relationship that I've been introduced to. In that from it's not perfect, but a good rule of thumb to me is using the beta pinene to delimonene ratio as a proxy for indica sativa. So what I would find is anything with a greater than around 0 0.2, 0 0.25 ratio of beta pinene to delimonene is what I'd call a sativa. And anything lower would be kind of what I would call more on the indica side. And so if you look at this, see that most things here, they're, they're less than 0.1 to 0.1. So, so this is 
you know, 0.1 to 0.1, right? That's like a one to one ratio. So this has, it looks at first glance that this has around a one to one ratio between beta pinene and D-limonene. Whereas see the Colombian profit, you've got one, two, five to 0.6. So the Colombian profit has around a, a one to five ratio between beta pinene and D-limonene. And so they get lower than this. So I wouldn't call this a, a strong indica. What this is looking to me like is maybe the Colombian profit is kind of falling like right at like sort of the hybrid point, um, in my opinion, because I think these get, I think these get really low, right? You can get some really strong indicas. Um, so this is looking like right at sort of like the indica cutoff line to me. But once again, we only have a sample size of one, right? And you can't really do that much with a sample size of one, right? Because it's like, you may have just grabbed the outlier. Um, so we'd really like to see more Colombian terpene profiles. So if any of you are growing Colombian gold, Santa Marta, Medellin, get your terpenes tested because th these are critical data points. And from the 125,000 lab results we have, from my understanding, we only have one Colombian that has lab results. We'll take it, right? It's better than nothing, right? So just given this one data point, we can, we had, no, right, before this, my prior was was a null hypothesis, right? My prior was there's no difference between Colombian and Durban. However, after seeing just one observation, my prior is now updated. And I now think that Colombian is closer to a hybrid and Durban, Durban poison, looks closer to a sativa to me. Um, and once again, you can actually calculate the average Durban beta pinene to D-limonene. That one's 0 0.75. And then this one's 0 0.23. And once again, let's look at just the min here. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, because there may be some, see, look, there are some Durbins that have low ratios. So the question is, are these just not traditional Durbins or is it possible that the distribution goes all the way down to 0 0.2 and then it's not even abnormal to have, say, a strain down here? So this is the problem about having these tiny sample sizes is we don't know if this Colombian profit is kind of an outlier or if this is around average. So don't know. And then fine. Oh, we've gone way, way over time, but I just wanted to show you a, one last set of charts just to, to really drive this point home. I um, mean, this one's kind of fun is remember we talked about 
the the land race Durban. So I thought, well, why not actually just look at its terpene profile? So this may just be improperly named, but if this is in fact a true land race, then this may be characteristic of some of the genetics that you would see in South Africa cannabis. So I kind of was super curious about what the terpene profile of this particular strain would be. And if you look at it, so these are the absolute concentrations with over 2% beta mercine. If you look at just the relative concentration, you'll see almost 60% of the terpenes are in this plant are beta mercine, which is interesting. But we need a comparison. So let's look at the Colombian profit. So here is are the terpenes of the Colombian profit. One thing we notice is this sample was tested for more terpenes. So you see here, one, two. We were we only were testing for about a dozen terpenes. And then the Colombian, they tested for about two dozen terpenes. So you have a more granular strain footprint here. But check this out. You right off the bat, we can start doing some some comparison. So I'm going to put this one up side by side. So check this out. Ooh, did someone have a thought, comment, question? You, you're, feel free to, to chime in. Or Oh, so, someone had to go. Okay, that's okay. I'll um, wrap this up since we're well over time here. But long story short is, um, and in fact, let me pull back up the the absolute concentration here. I thought the relative concentration would be interesting, but let's just stick with the the absolute concentration just uh, to not not get confused. So, to this one, the land, and remember. If we actually look at this Landrace Durbin, um, uh, da, 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 da. so if we look at this one, uh, do we still have total THC for this? Um, so this Landrace Durbin has kind of a low THC percentage, right? Um, in my opinion, um, so it, it's its THC percentage is only 14%, but it's got almost 2% beta mercine. So that just seems like a staggering amount of beta mercine, you know, relative like to its the THC levels. And so here you see the Colombian has, you know, less than 0.1 percent beta mercine so is that meaningful not super certain but the other thing that was really kind of jumping out at these right and that's what i was saying about statistics right we were looking at the thc and cbd and nothing was like jumping out at us when you look at statistics you want something to jump out at you almost immediately and then you can pursue it further. Um, if it 
otherwise you have to be super cautious about spurious uh, causation um, and bias but but here once again this is just two observations one observation of Landris Durbin and one observation of Colombian profit so we've got a you know you know sample size of one for each so we'd really like to get our sample sizes a lot higher but which they look like different strains to me so it looks like this one does maybe just as small or fewer amounts of terpenes except for beta mercine and then as i said what's jumping out at, at the colombian we kind of noted earlier is it has a high concentration of d limonene whereas the landrace durbin does not um so so that's i don't know if that's meaningful or not to you but if you were say interested in what makes a durbin a durbin what makes a colombian a colombian well we can start to think about the chemical profiles you know maybe if you wanted a strain that was a sativa that also had beta mercine you could grow some some durbin or if you you know you want a nice maybe this is a nice hybrid you can try try some colombian out or maybe you could you know get creative and what would happen if you mix a Colombian and a Durban together and so I think that is would be wildly interesting predictive analytics right Rick you talked about you know what could AI models do that we couldn't do this is like about as far as I can go right all I can really do is just calculate a bunch of conditional statistics you know and at a really limited to a very limited extent right i can just just calculate the concentrate or just this is just uh just the raw data so this is just the raw concentration just the raw concentration but you know what if uh you know some ai model could start thinking about what would a terpene profile of the offspring of these two plants look like and so then you could almost do ai powered breeding and try to figure out or statistical or you know st statistics powered breeding where instead of just thinking oh you know maybe today i'll i'll breed the colombian with the tie you could actually do predictive analytics and try to figure out what would be the terpene profile of a Colombian tie and what would be the profile uh, terpene profile of a Colombian Durban or the profile of a Thai Durban and you can kind of you know mix and match to sort of get those ideal terpene profiles that maybe you've done other predictive analytics and we were talking about matching terpene profiles to consumers. So maybe there's a consumer or a big consumer segment that likes a certain profile. 
and you can you know laser focus in your breeding and you know give the consumer just what they want so so that that's sort of what i see sort of the future of all of this you know what am i doing i'm just doing basic statistics but where can you take this the sky is the limit so any thoughts comments questions before let you all out of here to go seize the day just wanted to since this is my second meeting i just wanted to briefly introduce myself to the group um similar to edwin i'm also in a, uh, a data science program and interested in uh, natural language processing and just finished up a classification project and uh this to me is very fascinating data you know like you said looking at terpene profile or terpene profiles and just some of the raw data that's out there um so just wanted to say hi i don't want to keep the group uh, too much longer i guess the uh the user interface was had the the speaker off earlier so i couldn't chime in earlier but just wanted to say hello Phenomenal, Robert, and that's okay. where, that's where, as I said, ambitious data scientists like yourself can just take this one step further. Today, we're just doing summary statistics. You know, how many tie strains have we observed? How many Durban strains have we observed? What's the average concentration? So these are just low-hanging fruit. This is just either raw data, simple statistics or conditional statistics nothing nothing super fancy but you can go much further right so classification we just looked at a couple strains today but i think that may be the name of the game in the future is trying to put these into buckets so right there's the colombian there's thai there's durban in the past we've looked at cheese um we've looked at you know push og cape um skunk you know so the strain names is sort of a fun it's fun because people come up with all these wild and wacky strain names and there's been some papers that say oh you know this may not be very consistent but i feel like there may be something to it Right, so as I said today, right, there may be absolutely no difference between all these strains, but I don't know. I just feel like there's just something different between a plant that originated out of South Africa and a plant that originated out of Colombia. Um, and you know, who knows where the the skunks originated? And as I said, there's been a lot of breeding in California, so I think there's ripe ground for classification. Um, but it's going to take your your brilliant thinking. So, so Rick, any thoughts, comments, questions, real quick? Yeah, real quick. Uh, and I didn't want to take us over time uh, more than we already are, but uh, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, you you were spot on with with a lot of stuff that I've been working on personally uh, in regards to breeding and and tracking uh, essentially land races uh, through through different data sets. One you might be interested in and find helpful is uh, seedfinder.eu has a API where you can basically track genetics 
uh, through strain name. So you type a strain name and then there's basically a family tree of all the different crosses, if it was cubed or the, the entire genetic process behind it. Uh, usually a lot of backstory too. So it's helpful as a breeder to be able to track the lineage of the strains that you're working with. Now you've helped me make a connection to lab results. Uh, so now I can like work, you know, tie the uh, genetic data that I've been working with uh, now with, with lab results to uh, do predictive analytics for, you know, crosses or see what's a hybrid or a polyhybrid and, and try to track a land race to get, Okay. There's a lot of interesting work being done with like node labs, jungle boys with genetic preservation and, and kind of tracking that aspect of things as well, uh, which is another good avenue if we could get that data, obviously, later, uh, but to track um, the environmental variables and, and how because a clone should be uh, kind of a standardized test across different variables for a genetic, um, you know, uh, sample. So, uh, just want to say hi and lots of interesting things that you're doing. I, I really appreciate all the work that you've done to tie everything together. And it's it's been extremely valuable uh, to me just by uh, discovering it today. So thanks. Phenomenal, Rick. And let's keep the conversation going. This seed finder has been brought up before. And you're, you're spot on in that that's where a lot of the value is added is tying all these rich data sets together. And I didn't know they had an API, so I'm definitely going to have to explore this now. Because yeah, as you said, so you should definitely do it. Oh, I I will today, and and I'll share everything with you all. Because it, as you said, all you need is a name, and then you can start tying these together, and and that's where a lot of the beauty in data science comes from. It's just tying together interesting data sets in interesting ways that maybe people haven't thought of before. I, I love I love every bit of it, Rick. And why don't we maybe pick up with the conversation there there next week, because I'll start exploring seed finder. And as you pointed out, readers have their own set of data points that they're interested in because we were talking a lot about oh indica sativa from the consumer point of view well from the producer point of view indica and sativa have their whole other wide variety of associations for example breeders are super interested in how many days is it going to take to flower how tall is the plant going to be so they're super concerned about the morphology so of the the plant how big are the leaves how far apart are the the buds going to be so these are things that are of utmost importance to breeders because if you if you your plant if you're growing a sativa and it's going to be eight feet tall or an indica and it's five feet tall that matters about how where how where you hang your lights um and then of course the days to flower i've heard you know everybody wants that real real quick turnaround time so people and that's typically the indica type strains with like um, the shorter flowering periods and and so that's a whole nother reason why maybe you don't see a bunch of sativas out there on the market it's because generally from my understanding they have a much longer time to to flower so 
Yeah, and that's unfortunate with, you know, how things are going with THC uh, percentage being the primary goal uh, high to be the highest. Uh, and I think a lot of strains and, and cultivators are looking for that or it's difficult to grow. That particular land race can be squirrely. Uh, and it's unfortunate because you miss out on some of the outliers like you had identified with the terpenes. Um, it had a 13 or 14 percent THC value, which a lot of people would overlook, but there could be some um you know entourage effect or that double amount of whatever that terpene value was could put you on your butt or heal you or do it you know a specific uh fit a specific need or or something so yeah you you've got my my mind jogging so i'll be thinking about this for next week a potential thing is let's just maybe just try to augment some of these variables that the producers make care of care more about to so say go to seed finder and get things like oh what's the expected flowering date um or maybe they have the expected height or expected yield so what if we got some of those interesting data points and then once again tied them in and started to see what insights we can draw maybe maybe there is some predictive factor about how long something's going to be growing and how much is going to be sold and, and so for example once again my mind's racing about a million miles a minute but we were looking at factors that make the cultivator successful so we may want to look at all the successful cultivators and look at what varieties are they growing you know are they growing quick to uh quick flowering strains or who knows you know maybe some of the successful cultivators are growing some of the slow flowering strains so i think there's a you know a million and one things we could look at so i encourage you all to to explore the data well let let's get on this as i said my mind's racing land racing so let's let's keep this up keep the conversation going till next week I'll make sure to get all the lab results published and delivered to you today. So thank you for coming. But that's one of the reasons you came was rich cannabis data, and I'll make sure to get that to you. Until next week, thank you for helping advance cannabis science. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being awesome. Now go on and go enjoy your day. <laughs> Way cool. Thank you, Keegan. Huh. Thank, thank you all. Thank you. See you next week. All right. Until next week, everyone. Keep your notions of the grindstone and, and have fun while you do it. And rock your day. Mm -hmm.